You know, I've been thinking, we really need a curse mark. Like, this is called soccer shit. Not soccer stuff, not soccer things, soccer shit. So let's fucking curse. Why the fuck would we do that? Hey everyone, this is the third episode of Soccer Shit. I'm Kalen Saga. I'm Joe. I'm uh, Patrick Keeler. I write for Chasing a Cup. I'm Joey. I uh, have a MLS podcast called MLS Benched. It's mediocre, but if you want to take a listen, <laughs> you can. I like it. I like it too. We are here to talk about the CONCACAF Champions League final between the Seattle Sounders and Pumas, UNAM. They played Seattle 1 3 0. Woo! Let's begin. Seattle just won the CONCACAF Champions League final, which was a two-legged tie. And Seattle winning is the first win in, I don't know, 30 years. Overall, it's the third time an MLS team has won the CONCACAF Champions League. It's the first time they've won it under this format. Joe, you want to contextualize what just happened? I think part of the big question here is, obviously, this is a huge achievement for MLS and Seattle, but something that has been talked about just a little bit, but I think it could be touched on a little bit more. Who is this the big, bigger deal for? Is this a bigger deal for Seattle, who's looking to become the quote unquote super team or model franchise of MLS? Or is this a bigger deal for the league as a whole in terms of MLS? Because now they might have finally the confidence going forward against especially with like other league matchups with Liga MX coming around the corner I kind of just wanted to pose the question out there who do you think this affects more at least this result I should say you know I I saw someone write that uh you know everyone should be copying Seattle and they've had a lot of MLS success but I mean they've only made this tournament like every other year they lost to a Honduran in the round of 16 a Honduran team and two years ago in the round of 16 and, you know, this was the year. If MLS was ever going to win this thing, this was the year. There was no no really strong Mexican teams in the, in the tournament. So they got it done. But I, 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 And they've always – they've been one of the best MLS teams. And the pro- half the problem is that MLS doesn't actually send their best teams every year. But, you know, I don't know if, what you can take from this one tournament. It's just good to, to break, you know, break your nut, you know, kill your duck whatever they say uh so once you've done it once like you know it's, it's going to be easier to do it again but you know it's it's a it's a big achievement because it's the first time but it was it was totally set up for MLS to win this year they're actually kind of unlucky they're kind of unlucky that they got an all MLS semi-final or it could have been an MLS all MLS final really yeah I've never heard kill your duck as yeah I, I mix my metaphors there it's a, what is it? It's like break your duck. I think it's a cricket term. Huh. What's it? What's a duck in cricket? I have no idea. I mean, I feel like as an Indian, I should know this. But. <laughs> it might be cricket. It might be rugby. I think it's like uh, your first, your first score at a game or something. You break your duck. I don't know. Joey. I'll look it up. What are your thoughts on I think we're just going to kind of go like who it's bigger for, right? Um, I think for Seattle, 
it's less like game changing and more of a validation of what we already knew that this team has done all the right things, built the roster all the right ways. And it's coming to fruition, just not on a league level, but on a uh, confederation level, which is obviously important uh, to see. And really the next and I guess final step at this point, if, you know, not, uh, you know, mentioning the club world cup, which I mean, anything, you know, a final, a win, somehow in the club world cup would be obviously the most magical thing, but, but, you know, removing the club world cup, Seattle's kind of gotten to the height of where they can go and surprising nobody, I think, you know, in the process, I think when we're talking about like, like what's actually game changing, like narrative, I guess, driving, I I think this is bigger for MLS, bigger for MLS as a whole, because in, bigger signings you know more global attention has been attracted to the mls and so using this as a catalyst for potentially bigger things global things this this is bigger for that because i don't think liga mechis is necessarily dropping in their level they're just kind of stagnating which wouldn't be the worst thing if mls wasn't improving in leaps and bounds like it's been doing so i think this says more about mls as a whole and you know Pumas aren't the best team in Liga Mekis. They are, 11, I believe they were 11th place entering the Repachaje. I think they're playing right now, actually. Yeah. And um, I think this says less about Liga Mekis and where it ha- ha- does, you know, directly compare to MLS as more so, like, even the best team in MLS five, ten years ago, this wouldn't have been possible. This would have been a miracle. And for Seattle to be the heavy favorite going into the first leg or not going in the first leg, but going into the entire tie coming out of that first leg, still being that heavy favorite and then finishing the job at home, just as we thought they should have. I think that just says more about MLS is like, it's a league that's up and coming and it's a league that on its given day can compete with, you know, even the, the giants of Liga Mackey's much less, you know, a team that's 11th place. It's also worth noting the, so I think in term is the Equipo Grandes in Liga Max. The Equipo Grandes off this tournament was Cruz Azul, who Seattle didn't play. Um, America is the ultimate team. It's the biggest team in Mexico. They weren't in it. Monterrey weren't in it. So um, really... What Mexican soccer fans are saying is that we didn't send out our best teams, and you know, would... sorry, go ahead. Um, they're saying they didn't send our best teams, and that if America, Monterrey, Cruz Azul, all four of these teams pulled up, that they um. MLS, which is all often spelled out in alternate caps, uh, would not would get crushed. Pumas, they've won this before. Um, they are getting memed to hell and back on the Liga Max subreddit. Uh, there's a lot of taste for I memes. I would contend with that. Like I would just straight up contend with that because it's a merit-based system, right? Just like Arsenal, Tottenham aren't in the Champions League every year. If an English club doesn't win the Champions League, it's not necessarily because some of the biggest English clubs didn't make it in. It's a merit-based system, right? And yeah. 
Cruz Azul did turn up and they got beat by Pumas in the semifinal. I'm not saying that Cruz Azul wouldn't have beat Seattle. I don't know if Cruz Azul would have beaten Seattle, but they lost and they could have had the chance, but they didn't have the chance because they lost to Pumas. And so I think at this point we're it's down to that, like, does the best team always win? And the answer is no, because you have to win the games that you're given. And Seattle won the games that they were given. They won every single game besides mm-hmm. like one tie or maybe not even. Right. So that's kind of the end of the day. Like at the end of the day, you got to win the games in front of you. Seattle did. And including Cruz Azul, none of the other teams did. So Seattle mm-hmm. were champions. I also think being the best is something you earn on the field. And why the, while predictively speaking, this may not mean MLS is suddenly the best league in CONCACAF. I think Seattle have earned the title of we are the best team in North America by being the best team in MLS. Um, Patrick, you described them as one of the best, but really since basically LA Galaxy faded to obscurity, Seattle have won Supporter Shield. They've won multiple MLS Cups. They've been in, I think, four MLS Cup finals. Lost Columbus, lost to Toronto. They've... Yeah, yeah four. Yeah. Setting aside LA Galaxy and DC United, Seattle, are, Seattle and Toronto are the only two MLS teams who have made the semifinal twice, like ever, I think, of, like, of any Champions League. There are four MLS teams who have made it twice. That's LA Galaxy, oh, DC United, Toronto, and the Seattle Sounders. Seattle have probably qualified for the CONCACAF Champions League as often as anyone in this since the new format. Um, I think it's fair to say they are the flag bearers of the league. And you had DC United who were winning the pseudo-America thing, who won the CONCACAF the Champions Cup. You had LA Galaxy who won the Champions Cup. And now you have Seattle who have won the Champions League. So um, I think last podcast, me and Joe were talking about the pantheon of MLS. Seattle is now firmly in that pantheon. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, we're seeing we're seeing the limitations here of the CONCACAF Champions League where it's actually was reversed this year. Usually it's the MLS teams that have a good year they qualify, but then, you know, the parity mechanisms in MLS, when they end up in the CONCACAF Champions League, they're going up against Monterey and Tigres and America, and they're not good anymore. They're, they're not good MLS teams really anymore. They don't qualify for the next, you know, Champions League. Very, you know, Seattle qualifies one year, they don't qualify the next year, you know, but that's the year they're in, you know. So this is a problem with this, with this tournament. And then this year, it was strange. Some, some good MLS teams were in. You know, the winner was in NYCFC still good. Seattle's always good, you know, and then it was the, the Mexican teams, you know, Leon, they beat Leon and Pumas who are like, you know, past, you know, Pumas is 11th and Leon is 13th right now. I mean, these are, these are the Mexican teams that were in there. I mean, even Cruz Azul is eighth. I mean, it's usually Monterey, but uh, you know, I, it's just a limitation of this, of this tournament. It it's is like, probably... it's just the calendar, you know, it's the calendar that like, yeah. You know, it's like, a, it's, it's so far ahead. Like, you know, you qualify for the UEFA champions league and two months later you you're playing in it. Like you qualify for this and it's like, what is it? Nine months and you play in it. It's like, it's, it's just a problem. And it's, you know, MLS is, 
try to get you know they're trying to make all these new tournaments uh, at home yeah you know at home where they match up with all these you know the Champions cup or whatever and it would be nice if this tournament could somehow get its get its act together and get the best mexican and mls teams in consistently and have them play each other and, and maybe it'll get that way i mean it, it's been a process it was you know when toronto made the, the final you know, they went up against a Tigris team that completely rotated for the away leg. Like it was the way the big Mexican teams would play. They wouldn't play their stars on the road and MLS. They didn't need to, they would always beat them at home and Tigris rotated and they came back and I think Toronto won the, the return leg. And, you know, Toronto the next the year, did they? Okay. And then, uh, you know, the next year, all the big Mexican teams, they didn't rotate and they won. And now here we are, and MLS team has won. So it's been a, the whole thing. So it's been a process in this tournament. And it's, it's just, it's, it's just the calendar makes it a little goofy. And COVID has also made it a little goofy because, you know, I think one of these years we're going to get the best teams maybe next year. And then it's going to be fun because, you know, I think it was like what I trying to look for it, the attendance the other night. I mean, that's the most interesting thing. Is that they had uh, like thirty thousand people in Seattle for this game, and and that's 16, a real sixteen thousand. That's they made the, it, they, six, yeah. They made I it heard, sound like it was thirty thousand. I had somebody yeah. that completely outbuild the MLS Cup stuff. I bet. I mean, I think it was it was it was a big crowd. I mean, this is this is a tournament that used to you know unless you know, if the Mexican play was playing here, they draw big. But if it was like you know Olympia versus Red Bulls. On a Wednesday night, you know, no one would show up. Yeah. I, and, I remember the Red Bulls before, I think it was Mike Petke's Red Bulls. They'd never won a CONCAP Champions League game for what I believe. They qualified twice and then they just like, they, they would lose to I, some Central American. I mean, you Caribbean team. They used to have I, to go down, right? They used to have to go down in like October when they're in their playoff race. And go play in like Costa Rica on Isn't that a the Thursday League of night. Doing? I no, because now they just put all the League of MX and uh, MLS teams in in the final bracket. But they used to have to play like a group stage. And no, the MLS no, teams like gonna... League of MX was um is current was just about to have the playoffs go, and before the final, uh, Pumas won a game that got them into the playoffs. Ah, yeah. I mean, this is another yeah, problem with yeah, the calendar, you know. Before. Dineno got two goals um, the weekend before the second leg, and they are currently uh, 1-1 at halftime versus um, Chivas uh, at Chivas. So that's a, that's an interesting game. And, and, right, and that brings up the other thing. You know, you watch this game. I mean, Seattle dominated the game. It wasn't even – I mean, Pumas might have hit them on the counter if they hit them at all. You know, it was like – the it was, they say this, this whole thing was flipped. It was like the best MLS teams are in, the worst – Mexican teams are in and then the MLS team just looked better than the Mexican teams and you know in every game I watched Montreal you know, did pretty well against Cruz Azul yeah I mean I think one MLS team kind of at New England went down there and I don't know what they did but but NYCFC looked good against you know in their games I mean Seattle dominated this game it was like I, I mean I didn't think Pumas looked even like a good team like they couldn't string three passes they had some good, it was like, like I said, it's like a mirror. It's like they had some decent, like Brazilian forwards. They get the ball up there. Maybe they could dribble somebody and create something, but it wasn't like they were passing around. It wasn't, there was an Ole chance. It wasn't like, you know, 35 passing move Mexican 
team versus an American team. It was like the Amer- American team just dominating, like like the U.S. has been dominating Mexico in the last couple of games. I want to touch on a few things. Um, you, you mentioned the uh, the teams making it again. I I do want to bring up that there was a point in first or second round where in the Liga MX table, I believe it was Monterey second to last, uh, America last, and they actually had a uh, I think Monterey beat America. Um, in a game between the two last place teams in Liga Mekis. Now both those teams are um, in the uh, repechaje for the Class R. Mon- uh, Monterey just lost um, penalties the other night, so they're done. Uh, they America, lost to uh, San Luis, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. That was uh, a huge upset. Big upset. So that was... And then America, are in, uh, they're, they're safe. They're in the uh, second round already. Uh, that was a newspaper um, thing that after that, which had the M for Monterey's logo. And then mediocre in Spanish after that. It was wow. And then the other thing is like the crowd having 68,000 people cannot be understated. When that game started to open up and Seattle started to get more chances to finish it off, just the way the crowd got behind got behind them is just it can't be understated anywhere in the world if you're getting. 68,000 people to support your team, basically all of them behind you, right? Most of those yeah. were Seattle faithful. It wasn't Pumas fans in the Pacific Northwest. Those were Seattle um, fans who knew the chance, knew exact, knew the stakes. Like that's just as important, you know, people who know exactly why they're there. Fight what, and win. Right. The, the fight and win. It's it honestly, it's, that was an insane environment. And, if we're able as a you know soccer country to be able to produce those environments at the club level, much much less the national team level, I mean, now we're going places because we gave Pumas a legitimate problem. Um, and, and that, just the crowd and the way that that game panned out in large part was because of that home environment. Pumas were threatening at points in the first half. I'd say honestly more threatening than they were at home in the first leg, but Seattle was able to, you know, Stave that off. Stephen Fry made that save in the second half. And from that point on, it was basically the crowd behind Seattle. Seattle, you know, starting to, um, you know, defending that deep block. Nothing got through. And then hitting on the counter. And then it kind of, the dam broke uh, with like 10 minutes to go. And then it was Bedlam. And that's kind of what we had been wanting for years and years and years. And we finally got it. And so that can't be understated. Um, regardless of team, uh, even regardless of stakes, but to see that happen in, you know, the continental final was, it was a heartwarming sight. And um, I hope that they are able to reproduce that going to next year and, you know, moving forward. Let's just spend a little bit talking about Stefan Fay against Montugua. Matagua. Matagua. Thanks. They uh, had a 1.41 XGA against Seattle zero goals were allowed. Leon, they had 2.02 XGA against Seattle, one goal allowed. 4.28 XGA against NYCFC, two goals were allowed. 2.9 XGA against Pumas, two goals were allowed with the penalty kick. They, we don't have the shot XGA, you know, the shot on target data, I don't think. Maybe someone does. But I think that fits with like what we were thinking that Stefan Fade played really well in this. 
he was, I think back in 2018 or 2017, he was one of the best keepers in MLS. Um, if we look at goals added, he had 10.72 in 2018, 5.67 in 2019, 2.83 in 2020, 20, 1.32 in 2021. It thought of implying a downward slope, but this tournament, he played really well. Um, he's not been so good in 2022, but neither has Seattle or really any of the teams that were in the CONCACAF Champions League while they were in the CONCACAF Champions League. I think he won... Did he win play of the tournament? Yep. I think it's deserved, I think. I think you can say he was the best player. You could argue he was the best player. You can make an argument. I, it would I have been him or Danano. One of the two. I, I think I would say Rodon or Danano would have been my... Those would have been my two picks. I, I mean, you got to say Danano in my opinion. But I think... Fry certainly was the best keeper, and hey, you know, defense wins championships, right? That's yeah. that's the thing. And he didn't let in too many goals. He let in uh, two in the final, um, one in each leg against NYCFC, and I think before that, uh, Nada. I think it was all zeros um, heading into the the last uh, two rounds. So, yeah, not an undeserving winner for sure. We've been talking a bunch about the game, so we may as well segue into the game. So basically, I guess, in the first leg, Seattle were arguably outplaying Pumas. At least they were producing the best chances. Pumas were controlling possession. And, you know, I think they even outpossessed Seattle in the second leg. But Seattle were getting the more dangerous chances. And then Pumas get... So basically, Pumas gets a goal ahead. Seattle creates a bunch of chances. Pumas gets a second goal. And then Seattle gets two penalties. Even series... Um, Seattle out XG'd Pumas two to one in the first leg, both with or without the penalties. Context being that Pumas were ahead and Seattle were chasing the game. So you would expect them to have higher XG. Second leg, Seattle and Pumas's XG was kind of even until Seattle got that first goal. And then it was a call blink. How did we feel about the flow of the whatever i don't know let's talk about the game i thought between the two games it was kind of basically what you and i talked about last time out it was kind of more of the same of seattle always looked comfortable maybe at some points they were a little bit under pressure but they never looked dominated they never looked like they were like they never looked scared they were always just like, they were able to absorb anything that Pumas gave. And in the first leg, a little bit more of context, um, there was a lot of rain. It was pretty bad weather. That uh, pitch was soaked to the bone. Also, personally, wasn't a fan of the ref, but that's a different story. But either way, they were very unlucky to be down two to nothing going into the 70th minute, that first leg. And then they got the two penalties to even it out. And then, honestly, the only reason why I think the game lasted as long as did in the second leg is because they lost two absolutely key starters um, in what well, I think within the first 20 minutes in uh, Paulo and uh, Nuhu. Yeah. Both of them went out with Paulo's uh, gone. Paulo has, hell. I think he's unfortunately, yeah, he's gone for a while, but I think, I mean, I don't think Seattle's going to complain 
too much. I mean, they got a championship out of it, but um, basically Pumas looked most dangerous during right after Apollo left. And they had about a good 10, 15 minutes where they controlled the tempo. They had the possession. And while they didn't get any great shot during that time, they looked more the threatening. But then after like the 40th minute, especially after that goal by uh, Rui Diaz, which some in the, a lot of the Mexican media is saying how lucky that was. If that, even if that didn't go in, it was going to be called a handball uh, by the ref. So Maybe. And also, it was, it was a pretty good shot anyway. So I don't know how you can take that much credit yeah. away from him anyway. But I, I would stop short of dominant. But I would absolutely say in both legs, Seattle looked comfortable and was never really troubled by Pumas, which if Mexico is going to be saying that, oh, we only had Pumas there. They're not that great of a team. Well, Seattle played like they were going against an inferior opponent. That's kind of the also a talking point they played as if they were quote-unquote america or monterey going up against pumas i mean they played as if they were on the same level as those players because yeah. pumas never really was in a game or i should say pumas never really threatened to win either of those two legs other than the luck that they had in the first one they did have a they did make a great save of an offside chance um i don't know i think i counted like Three big chances. There was that header in the first leg, which went in. There was um, that header in the second leg from O'Connor, I think. And then there was... Um, there was another header in the second half where Fry made, once again, another great save. But it was yeah, offside. No, the offside one was the one in the first half. The yeah. second half one was the crazy... Or, I mean, it wasn't a crazy save. It was a good save. It what was, was more like, impressive then, about that was Fry was able to not just parry it, he was able to parry it away as opposed yeah, to blocking. He was able to parry a point-blank header out of harm's way. That's what was the impressive part of it. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't It was as unbelievable as the first save. That was a crazy save. But, like, obviously the stakes in the second half, right, that would have made it uh, the, the whole thing tied up, and that save was absolutely key. And uh, Chivas just scored two one. Uh, they're up on Pumas. Sorry. Does anyone have a time? In the in the first leg, it was a pretty slow twenty minutes. Um, there was uh, Lodero got a pretty reasonable free kick from a corner where he almost couldn't stand because there was a puddle, and then there was a bunch of reporters <laughs> right next to him off to the right side. Um, but then uh, Deneno drew the penalty as he was. That was actually probably the best movement Pumas did all both legs. And then he made that penalty. And then there was a, another chance by Seattle right before the half where um, I think it was actually Paulo who had like a shot from six yards out. But I think he skied it. That was really the chance of the first leg for me. The, the Rudy Diaz chance was obviously it. But like the Paulo one, the significance, the significance of that going in the half, right, would have been massive. Yeah, that was that and the uh, Rui Diaz chance, which was looked was a beautiful setup. And he, by all accounts, he should have scored that. Yeah, yeah. In terms of XG, definitely the second chance. But yeah. And uh, I don't... Sebastian Sosito, who I believe is a dual nat. Um, yes, he is. Pulled up at the 63rd minute, replacing Guillermo. <laughs> Then you have Washington Congolo replacing La Diego. Then 
The first penalty, I believe, was a handball in the 77th minute. Yes. I believe it was Roldan who did a cross and the uh, – I can't remember the Mexican player, but he did a sliding block, but it hit his hand that – Yeah. As he was sliding. And then that was called a penalty and uh, I believe it was Ladero that scored. Yep, on both penalties. Um, and then – in like the 91st minute, Roldan was just standing there and he got kicked in the back. Yeah, <laughs> so, another, so another penalty was called and um, Ladero scored that one too. There's been a lot of situations in this tournament where at the last second, the Mexican team finds a goal or they get a call that, you know, changes complexion. So it's nice to see that flip a bit to conquer calf the opponent second leg so i say it doesn't even dress for the second leg. like like he's is... an he's an american player i mean is it was, was that is he injured was that like I, I heard a rumor of injury but let me look it up because uh ours was like they blamed him for that penalty they seem even dress i mean they, their bench looked a little short like they only had a uh, 18 players dress and they only made two subs in the game you know chasing Say they had they, they they still had three unused subs. Yeah, I mean they're down. I don't know why that you're down two goals in the 80th minute, but oh, I mean there's that might have been because of the you only you couldn't just sub willy nilly. There is only certain periods where you could. I don't know if that had something to do with it, but still you were even then you were still yeah, trailing though, all through the second periods. half and you didn't make anything. Yeah, they should have been. I mean, like I said, I mean I'm just looking. It, you figure if one of them is a goaltender, they only had six outfield substitutes. And, you know, if two of those are defenders, maybe you just had nobody to put in, you know. But I don't know why their, their bench is so short. I don't know why it's so safe and dress. This is, yeah, it's worth noting um, before we get into the second leg. We were talking, Seattle has a bunch of MVP to just star level players, which is not usual for MLS sides. You have Luzak, Salt Lake's best player last season. You have MVP players in Odero, Rudias. Yeah, Morales, who, you know, was almost at, was at that level before his injury. You have Montero, who's been here and been Seattle's best player. Nuhu, who shut down Mane. I mean, helped shut down Mane. You have Stefan Frey, who was arguably the best keeper in MLS like five years ago. If you account a bit for game states, you could probably argue that when it was even, when neither had in, you know, neither was chasing the game, they played evenly. But the big game players for Seattle ended up making the difference. You have Stefan Frey, who stops Pumas' chances, Louis Dawes, scoring. Um, you have Voldan, and we didn't talk about him. Voldan's been really good in these international games over the last two seasons. Traditionally, in Liga MX and MLS, Liga MX has the extra players, but here, really, the Seattle Sounders came in with the stars or superstars or whatever, and they ended up winning the Champions League for them. Okay, should we go into the second leg? Um, I just... I think it's worth mentioning for a second. You were talking about all these like DP level star players that they have. 
Uh, if you haven't read the Matt Doyle article on MLSsoccer.com, I think it's worth it. But he breaks down all the ways that they've kind of accrued this talent over the last, you know, probably five, six, seven years. And it's every way that you can, right? It's, it's a highly sustainable way. It's good DP signings from Central and South America. It's a uh, super draft. Um, it's free agency uh, for the likes of Rusnak. It's developmental for the likes of Vargas. So every way that you could develop or get players, they've got it. And it's, it's paid off big, big time. It's the reason why all these um, methods exist is so you don't, you can't be relying on just one, but if you, if you have a mix of all of them, that's when you become a really successful team. Yeah. Um, uh, Joe, do you want to start the recap or whatever? I sure. have the events. Say the second leg was, again, it was a little bit of a slower start, but regardless of what the game plans and everything was going to be, it got pretty quickly turned on its head because knew who got hit pretty hard. Uh, I believe it was Galindo. Um, he basically did a slide tackle right into knew who's leg um, yeah. about five minutes later knew who had to be taken out. So oh, yeah, then people were worried that would be like uh, that would take him out of the world cup, but. Ironically, that was probably the second least um, injury of the night because then now, granted, uh, Seattle still didn't look bad at that point, but then about uh, 10 minutes later, um, Paulo comes up with, a, I believe it was a hamstring pull. It was fairly much, it was pretty much a non-contact play. And if you just looked at the replay, you just knew he was done, um, which he, considering he's literally the heart and soul in the middle for Seattle, that was where I think you like if you were a Seattle fan or just an MLS fan, like you know, watching the game and hoping some history was made, you'd just be like, Oh no, is this happening again? It just kind of like come, the come on moment of the tournament for Seattle, where they haven't had hardly any issues at all. They've been the better team, and now just circumstances is going to get in their way. And as we touched on a little bit earlier, that was pretty Pumas for the next 15 minutes or so. They controlled the tempo. They had the possession. Yeah. But the problem is they weren't able to create any clear cut chances other than one that was offside. And even if it wasn't offside, Fry made the save. So Seattle have like, Seattle have been gotten pretty good at just, you have the ball, you have, you can push the tempo. We're not going to break. I, I refer to it as bend, don't break defense, which as long as it doesn't break, who cares how much it sometimes looks like somebody might take shots on you. Um, during that time, I think also the other best shot that they had was, I think there was a free kick um, in the first half as well in a good position, but nothing came of it. But then after that 15 minutes or so, Seattle, kind of got comfortable again. Uh, Vargas was holding his own in the midfield. You, you didn't see a major drop-off, which credit to literally a 16-year-old kid. Good job, you. Um, and then right before the half, uh, Rui Diaz gets set up right in the middle, gets it up in a really dangerous spot, gets the shot off. It gets deflected, which as soon as it deflected, the uh, ref did put his hands up as to signal that it would be called a handball, but the 
play because of deflection and the keeper um, was already going one way. He wasn't able to get back to it and it goes into the goal. And all of a sudden, all the momentum going into the second half, it's all Seattle. Not that, I mean, it's only one to nothing. Pumas is fully capable of coming back into it, that but they're going to have to do something different than yeah. the normal game plan that they had been doing up to that point in order to do so. That was a beautiful sequence. Just, I think that was 10 passes. I think that was a second goal. Oh, was the 10 passes. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I don't blame you for wanting to talk about that. That was absolutely gorgeous. Well, um, you know, what's insane to me is about all these, there were a lot of passes to play, but it's like, oh, wow, he's going to lose the ball. Oh, wow, he's going to lose the ball. And then they, they just don't. Like the players are like two feet away from each other. Green player, second green player, two feet away from each other. And it's somehow, works like well uh, something that i noticed during both legs was pumas would like most a lot of mexican teams this is pretty standard they want to try to switch fields they try to want to go switch to left to right wear mm-hmm. you down and break you down when they have possession the problem was seattle was pretty disciplined in terms of defense whenever they won a aerial duel and the ball would get into the midfield there was no Pumas players. It was only Seattle in the midfield. And then they'd have 10 uh, yards of space where they could do whatever the heck they wanted to with it. That was, I, I, I mean, if somebody else, I think might've seen that they can maybe touch on that as well. But I saw time after time, Seattle wins the ball. They, they, uh, they win the ball over. It's in the midfield and there's open space in front of them. And then they try to get a quick counter, basically like a long ball to, Morris or Roldan or somebody that's streaking down and Morris was beating to his credit. Morris was actually making very dangerous runs, especially in this all second leg. He was making the dangerous runs, just the service. It wasn't getting to him. He had his to, but to his credit, he did have his guys beat. The ball just wasn't getting to him until the, in the, I believe it was the 80th minute where I don't, I, um, to, I don't know how many passes it did, but for sure it went from Christian Rodon to Alex Rodon to Morris, and then uh, it was to Lodero, and then to Rui Diaz. All pass, one touch, one touch, one touch, one touch, one touch, and it was gorgeous. It was beautiful, and basically it was that moment where Seattle just like, we are better than you. This game is over. Yeah, And then at that point, and that the third goal was really more of Pumas just trying to push, even though I don't know what Pumas was doing in the second half. They won a couple free kicks in dangerous spots, but those aren't really they weren't the greatest quality chances. And then the only other one that they had was a header, which was saved again by Frey. But other than that, I didn't see a ton of urgency. I mean, like. I didn't see like pressing and just going all out because who, who cares if another goal is scored? You need to score now. You are, you're down one to nothing. You need to, I mean, for a game where they were down for the majority of the game, the second half, but you only get one shot on goal. You would need to be taking more chances than what they were doing to, or, to me. To be fair, uh, just as don't you can create chances and have no shots and goal because you just missed the shots but i don't know if that was 
I don't remember them getting that many. Uh, they only had, they only took seven shots total, which, as you said, like uh, expect even with like expected goals, yeah, I, I, you need to take a shot in order for that to count. Yeah. But you would think that you'd at least be taking a, a a pot shot from 25 yards out when you're down one to nothing going into the 70th minute. Even it was I just found it a little bit odd. I was just gonna say that uh, you know that that that's a very uh, I, you know you watch a lot of soccer. And I feel like there's some cultures that don't think that way at all. Like they would rather just keep playing or not lose badly than to try and win. Like, I think it's a completely American thing to say uh, losing seven zero or losing one, nothing is what's the difference. You might as well go for it, which makes total sense to all of us. Cause we're American. I, I assume. And then, but like, uh, you know, Algeria in 2010, they completely bunkered. They were playing for a zero-zero draw. I this uh, I don't. Oh, I it's my this might be my own personal little thing, but like uh, they could have won and gone through. They could have won and gone through to the next round. They they I mean maybe they you know bunk bunkering I was think their they best tried to. Um, in the last in the sequence that led up to the goal, Aldeo were throwing numbers forward. They got a good chance. Howard made a good save, and then we exploited the fact they were coming up to hit them in transition, basically. I think that sometimes the strategy is we're going to let the other, we're going to pick our moments and most teams try to win. They just, with Real Madrid, particularly, again, they also were thought of in a similar situation to Algeria and Leon where they knew they were playing a better team, uh, a more talented team, at least. So they they absorbed some pressure and then they went in and you know the at halftime they go in they almost get a goal, uh, then at the end of the game they they throw numbers up. So I think a lot of the times in like these games the strategy is to reserve energy and then push at key moments to try and break the. Maybe, but I mean, uh, you know, that's just one example. I, and this is a complete tangent. And I don't know if, if Mexico is like this either, but like uh, when Bob Bradley was at Swansea, he ran into this where there was like, I think there was a game against Arsenal where they lost like 6-4. And, uh, you know, they were down 3 nothing. They came back and then, you know, Arsenal scored, scored three more. And, you know, he thought that like, well, what's the difference? We lost, we lost, you know, we went for it. But like he said that like uh, he got a lot of blowback and he had pretty much ended his, uh, you know, it really hit, hit him in the locker room, which ended, you know, that's why he was out of there so early is that the, the players didn't respect him. They, they don't want to lose 6-3. They'd rather lose 2 nothing. you know, a lot of these European players from different places, you know, or, you know, for, you know, African and, and South American players. I, I'm just not sure that, you know, even in the tournament final, like, I think they will stick to their game plan until the end. And, you know, they did see how they score a couple late right off, you know, bang, bang. And then it was over. And then of course you push forward maybe, but you know, they didn't really substitute or do anything. You know, I, I don't know. I just know that like, I think we, we always expect that. And, I, and I'm not sure that every culture thinks that way. I mean, this is just a tangent. We can go I get would off say it. Mexico in particular do not think that way because and actually what happens is if you go on Mexican soccer sites and you talk to my fans, they will be disappointed 
if the team isn't producing chances throughout the game. Like um, when they were, when they lost to the U.S. in Cincinnati, the thing was, oh wow, they actually they were possessing the ball and trying to take it to us, and they sort of like the wins in the goal combination league don't count because you weren't producing chances and they'll go on their own manager for not trying to completely obliterate uh, Honduras or El Salvador away from home. So I think in this context, it's more of a, it was more of a tactical thing than um, a cultural thing because I would say Mexican soccer culture values attacking football sometimes even at the expense of winning more than it does. If that makes sense. I Yeah. So I've kind of been waiting for a moment to bring this up and I feel like this is not a bad moment, unless you guys want to finish the game recap. I kind of hit afterwards, but it's kind of on the dis- distinction between Pumas and what we would consider Mexican teams. But um, do you guys want to finish the game recap before I kind of go? Why don't that? we just get in? Uh, yeah, let's do this recap and we all go to that. Um, say we, we we had just gotten to the second goal uh the brace rue diaz and then from there that's that's from where i was kind of touching on it, it took up until that point for you to pumas to really start like pushing the ball up and try to get a little bit more and then we got another break where morris take uh gets the ball i can't remember who fed it to him but he gets a really good uh, shot on goal, which was actually kind of unlucky to not score there. Um, I think uh, Talavera may have had a little bit of a save on it, and then it goes off the post. And in kind of a funny sequence, Rui Diaz just ducks, completely gets out of the way, just plants himself on the ground so Ladero can get a free shot, and then he's not going to be called off sides for it. And then uh, Ladero buries it. And then it's pandemonium. All everybody knows. Then at that point, it's over. Uh, all sixty-eight thousand Seattle fans. Is it was as I don't know if that has been recreated in U.S. soccer in terms of just you knew then it was done. Like yeah. it, that 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 was basically you might as well like you might as well blew the game in the 80th minute. That was the Dos Acero. That was the. You right, know, that goal it's always comes for some reason. It's right, completely. Um, I mean, th- so that was basically that was. Would I say that the game played out to be where Seattle won three to nothing deservedly? I would probably say no, but Seattle absolutely deserved to win the game. Uh, they absolutely deserved to win the tournament because they were absolutely the best team throughout the entire tournament. Yeah. Um, Let's go to J.O.'s point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think if you guys, and I'm not super versed in this, or, so you know, but also there's not a ton of this stuff available in like English language. And I'm not very proficient in Spanish. But if you follow kind of, you know, English um, and American Mexican crossover shows, such as Football Americas, um, I've seen that a couple of times. Yeah, recently, Pumas has hit a financial, um, you know, hardship. They do not have the budget of big teams, period, in Mexico. Any of the big teams that we were talking about earlier, the Tigres, 
Chivas, Cruz Azul, uh, America. They do not have the budget of any of those teams. Um, this team is thrown together by a, a low wage players. Saucedo, right from RSL, young player at the time, right? We're not talking about any of the big boys in Mexican soccer. A lot of uh, young signings, a lot of academy signings. Yeah. They don't have money. And so this team was always punching above their weight and are still punching above their weight in basically any game that they will play in, at least for the, from the money aspect, because they just don't have money. They can't buy big players. And so that's the other thing that you might hear Mexican fans talk about in terms of this, this whole tie is like, they got the team without the resources, without the money to make this work. They got the university team, right? Pumas, um, the U in Pumas, uh, UNAM, uh, U-N-A-M, it stands for, uh, I think it's like Universitario um, or something yeah. like that, which means university, right? This is a university team. Um, and so a lot of what you see surrounding this is basically Pumas don't have money and therefore they're not going to be able to beat the big teams. And I, I, I don't think it's a great argument because they were able to beat Cruz Azul, yeah. you know, but that is an argument and that is an interesting point about Pumas that I don't think is brought up all the time is like, this is a team that this is an underdog fought extremely valiantly throughout this entire process um, and continues to. I can touch on that a little bit. Um, I watched a good bit of ESPN Deportes uh, the last couple of days also through that. And then just did a little bit of digging into, I guess, historically into Liga MX also as well. Pumas is actually part of the, what is quote unquote, the big four of Mexican football. It's America, uh, Chivas, Azul, and then Pumas. Those are basically considered to be the most popular slash successful sides historically. Um, Pumas only fairly recently has becoming upon those money problems. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I think it's been like a decade since they really won something. Tigres has supposedly taken that spot. Right. Um, but kind of touching on something, I think it was Patrick that mentioned this earlier with the, uh, we'll say the, the more quality level teams like uh, Monterey now, um, even though Cruz Azul was in this tournament, but then also uh, basically Club America. Um, part of the problem in terms of whether or not they make the Champions League is also how they qualify, which to those that aren't familiar with uh, Liga Emeki's it's uh, a six game yeah six season game. structure well they have they technically have two seasons every year um, 17 games and then 17 games uh, basically an opening I think it's called an apertura and then a clausura a closing um, so basically as long as you're good over a 17 game sample size you get in the Champions League mm-hmm. um, and then kind of uh, I believe actually going into next year, depending on how they do the qualifying, I don't know if that's been set in stone, but uh, America won the, the Apertura for this last season. So, assumably, that should be your big name yeah. going into this next club season. But also, it, this has been a bad year for all, like Monterey, not good. America, um, into the uh, opening, I think it was, or the season before, not too good. Um, Tigres has, has um, 
just touched upon before, Tigris has really been a lot better. And also Atlas has doing pretty well as well. But the Atlas big, won, didn't they? Uh, they got second. Uh, to, Al- but the, the, um, no, Atlas they, won in the, at the Apertura. Yeah. Club, I got Club America. Playoffs. Oh, playoffs. I, no, it, yeah. it, 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 it's based off the final. The so, playoff setting after the Apertura and after Closola and Atlas won their first um, title in, I think, 30 years? If, I, I'm making up. Yeah, it, it was a long time. Can I... Joe, do you mind if I just expand just for a half second? I'll throw it back to you. Yeah. Sure, go ahead. Uh, so, yeah, so essentially, they've um, 18 teams. There is... It's a high point of contention. There was at one point, but there is no longer, at least for the moment, pro-rel. So the 18 teams in Liga Mekis are locked in kind of the way it is. Um, the top 12 teams go to the playoffs. Uh, uh, five through 12 goes to like a first round. Um, and the, the top four teams automatically advance to the second round. And then they just kind of play bracket style, uh, go to a final. Um, it, obviously, you mentioned about the uh, Clasura Apertura and the way that Liga Mekis and the, the Mexican Federation says that they're uh, qualifying uh, for the CONCACAF Champions League is the winner and runner-up of the Apertura and the Clausura go to the uh, the CCL. So uh, the winner um, after the playoffs, which is how they determine it, the playoff structure, Atlas uh, won in the Apertura and Leon uh, was second. So those two teams will be in next year. And so right now we're just kind of waiting on those other two teams um, uh, from the Clausura, uh, which is going on right now, uh, Monterey, as we mentioned, already out. So at least we know uh, one of the uh, kind of bigger teams won't be in it. Uh, that's kind of all I got. No, that's Thanks okay. That, that. Yeah. yeah, that's my apologies on that. I misread that. I thought it was the top two in the standings, not the actual result in the playoffs on that particular opening or closing. So, but still good to know. Um, but that still kind of leads into the point that I was going to make here was. People keep or say, or uh, a lot of the Mexican media, when I was watching, was also talking about how uh, there there was a, partic- a particular one on ESPN Deportes where the uh, actually Hercules Gomez um, was a guest speaker on there, where a lot of the pun- uh, Mexican pundits were talking about how while they were at the in the same breath they were saying that Pumas was the inferior team to. Seattle in this particular case, and they actually were giving some credit where it was due to Seattle. They were also then saying on the, and the, literally in the same sentence, Puma should have done better because of what it does historically. And because they've seen, like, basically they thought Pumas beat a better Cruz Azul team than what possibly what Seattle was, which if you're historically or what the whatever Mexican media, if you want to say that your best teams aren't making it there, so it's not a quote unquote real matchup of the best, your your best teams need to start making the tournaments and these games. Or otherwise, yeah, they might be historically the best, but you can't call them the best if they're not making to like they like uh, Monterey is already out of this particular uh, uh, Clausura tournament, you can't, they can't really start calling them a really good team if they're not consistently getting there as well. I think it helps. It's the Super League argument, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, this is the, uh, this is what my, my, my original point 
you know, it was like this year was, was so set up for MLS because they actually got their good teams in for once. Cause they usually oh, have the yeah. problem where they don't get their good teams in order. The good teams aren't good when they're in and the Mexican teams didn't for once to get, get any of their good teams in, you know, you can argue about Cruz Azul, but I mean, the revolution should have probably beat Pumas two rounds ago. You know what? I don't know how they, how they blew that one. Uh, that was because Bruce Arena <laughs> said that they didn't have to score. And that's, quote. that's and an people, exact and, quote. Uh, oh and, and the team, and the team believed them, I guess. And then, you know, but like, that's why I have no sympathy for any Mexican fans who are like, we don't have our best teams. In. The MLS never gets their best teams in. They usually have to start in their preseason and, you know, and the MLS, you know, they never schedule, like they never change the schedule to help their teams. You know, they'll, they'll schedule, you know, Seattle played a game last night. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like the Bundesliga will move matches around to help so, their teams in Europe, but MLS almost never does. I mean, I remember when MLS the Red Bulls made it, they might have done a little bit, right? I think they yeah, have one to. thing I will give them props for. Like they did move the Seattle games and then they did move the Seattle and NYCFC games when the, those two teams were in the uh, semifinals. So I was actually like surprised by that. I'm like, oh, yes. Like, yeah, this is what you should do, yeah. right? I mean, the Bundesliga moves, uh, they'll, they'll change their schedule depending on where people are. You know, you know, they won't, they'll have the Europa guys play on Monday and they'll have or Sunday and they'll have the, uh, you know, so they'll move their guys around. The England, England won't move their, their, their schedule around. So MLS should move it around. Like I said, this, this tournament has, has a problem where we just can't get the best teams in, but like, I think you know. it also helps MLS that um, we've shifted recently to three of the four spots, three of the five spots. I'm not four. Well, yeah, I got you. Canadian, but three of the four spots go to the team that, finishes first in their conference no. um it's it's the supporter shield winner the winner of the other conference the right. mls champion and then usually the open cup it's winner. The, yeah it's the open winner but, but not, because that because of that was canceled they just did the next highest um win, which by the way under normal circumstances seattle might not even have made this tournament yeah because of the because of the qualifying structure um yeah that's, I mean, that, and that's probably helpful. So Mexico now is, I mean, Mexico basically you have, it's mostly just teams that do well over small sample sizes. MLS, at least two of the four teams are going to be the teams that for over the course of the season were really good. And this specific tournament, it was three out of four teams that were really good. And the team that happened to get a spot because they won the MLS Cup was a team that has had the most points in the regular season over the last five years. So this was an unusually strong batch for MLS. Um, yeah, and, perfectly set and, up for MLS this year. And yeah, and MLS normally gets that fifth spot because it's the winner of the Canadian championship. So it's an That's a little bullshit, fifth. not gonna lie. Um there's no reason MLS should have five spots in League of Well, it's not, it's not, it's not, but it's like similar to like the uh, US Open Cup, Canadians run a championship including the teams of uh, Canadian Premier League, um, which is like kind of the Canadian version of MLS, but it's like a national league. And then the MLS Canadian teams. So yeah. normally it's going to be an MLS Canadian team that's going to win that one. And actually Canada got a, another team in uh, via the yeah. CONCACAF League, uh, Forge, yeah. um, which I was really happy to see. And they they fought valiantly. Yeah. Um, 
I was proud of them. Yeah. They played Kuzuzul. Yeah, which is crazy. Like, talk about a tougher matchup. Right? They I'm almost won up. the CONCACAF. That was, what was it? That was an earlier tournament. Uh, it's it called was... the CONCACAF League. It's kind of a compilation of the winners of the domestic leagues that aren't Liga Mekis or MLS. Yeah. It's the easiest way I think I can explain. Yep. It was. Um, that's, so that's... Go ahead. They're in the semifinal. They lost to Montagua. Matagua. Matagua on away goals 2-2. They are a Hondolan powerhouse. And that was, I believe, the first time they've competed in continental competition. Then they came to this one and they didn't get, you know, they lost pretty badly, but they didn't get completely destroyed. They, get they didn't get smoked. Yeah. Which, yeah that's good. Um, okay, so... Uh, Here's like kind of the full, and we kind of been talking about qualification. Here it is: uh, North American zone, which is the United States and Mexico, uh, each get four berths. Uh, Canada gets one berth. The Caribbean zone, um, uh, to go that gets one uh, berth. That goes to the winner of the Caribbean Club Championship. So, Caribbean teams, right? We're talking about Puerto Rico, Jamaica, Trinidad and Tobago. I think I see is in it. Uh, Haiti. It was uh, Cavalli um, won the uh, Caribbean Club Championship. Incidentally, this was the team that played New England or was supposed to play New England in the first round. But due to, I believe it was uh, funding problems, um, just so, so unfortunate. I think it was funding or it was either funding or COVID problems, unfortunately. Uh, they were not able to play in the first round and had to forfeit. So that's why New England got an automatic berth into the second round. Yeah. Um, and then the other, uh, the other six berths are to the top six teams in the CONCACAF league. So uh, this, is, this is from the Central American zone. We're talking Costa Rica, Honduras, Guatemala. Um, all those uh, countries got teams in, in uh, Canada. Uh, Canada got one in as well. So that's kind of how the bursts are allocated. And I think it's a pretty fair way of doing it. But I mean, um, the thing is, though, yeah. is like MLS has a, so if you were to coefficient this, you know, the way they do in UEFA and for the World Cup, Leo Max has been better than MLS. And remember, the Canadian team that's qualifying ultimately plays in MLS. So what that means is League A, which has been winning the last 17 years, is getting four spots. And League B, which has never won up until now, is getting five spots. I, I think that's a little bit convenient for us. Realistically, it would be like, what, three spots for the American team and then like one spot for the Canadian team or two spots for an American team and one spot for a Canadian team. But instead we get five t- different teams. And so that gives us a little bit of leeway, more leeway than arguably we should have based on competitive performance. Well, to push back a little bit on that, you, I don't think this tournament is necessary. I mean, I understand that it's the, you know, the champions league quote unquote, but kind of like you mentioned with the world cup, if you were just going by, let's just say FIFA ranking, they'd be several teams that like uh, CONCACAF wouldn't get three or three and a half slots like Costa Rica probably wouldn't be getting there. Um, if you were just trying to get the best nation in North America, if that was your true goal for like 10 years ago, I don't know how insulting it would be to say you might not have even wanted to have an MLS club in there or no more than like two because of how 
the yeah. how wide the discrepancy was back then. But like, if you're looking for a legitimate uh, region versus region versus region, you need to sacrifice a little bit of maybe because uh, ten years ago, the fifth best team in Liga MX is probably one of the top two teams in MLS. Uh, uh, I'm that's I'm not going to co- argue with that that too much, but but then you don't get the representation from anywhere. And then they're probably just kicked out. And then it's basically another Liga MX tournament. So basically it's kind of what is your goal for the tournament on top of trying to provide a a champion of the region, you need to have representation from the region. I have no issue with the way it's set up. It's it's a merit-based system, which allocates more spots to the, the two best leagues than it does to every other league, which is how it works everywhere else in the world those teams play over two legs whoever scores more goals away goals which i'm not a huge fan of but whatever whoever scores more goals generally moves on like it's not a system that's based off you know historical performance it's not a system that's based off of anything other than you know you step on the field in your league you win in your league you come in this you win in this and you you know you win the whole thing like it's it's a simple system that gives power where i think it should be due I don't have many issues with it whatsoever. It's just because uh, the best teams in Canada are in MLS. There's very yeah. few other places in the world where there's, you know, there, there's Welsh teams in the EPL. It's just a, it's just a quirk, you know, it's a quirk. Yeah. Like Canada gets, gets a spot and that spot's going to be an MLS team. So then MLS, MLS gets five, but it's really still four American teams, one Canadian team. It's, it's just a, it's a strange quirk of that system. Uh, I don't have an issue with the, you know, the one allocated spot to the Canadian championship winner, particularly because the Canadian Premier League is on the up and up, just like MLS is. I can draw pretty good comparisons to that. You know, academies are proving all over Canada and so on. And so I wouldn't be surprised if we see a kind of a shock winner take place in the next couple of years in the Canadian championship. And we get a team like Pacific or a team like, I don't even know. I mean, I think it would probably probably be Pacific. They're the I best mean- team. It's just league. a couple games. Like you just need to right. win. It's definitely doable, especially if Toronto or Montreal or Vancouver. I mean, and all those teams, particularly Vancouver, are struggling right now. So Montreal's doing okay. Yeah, Montreal's doing fine. Yeah, Montreal's fine. But let's say you know Vancouver, even Toronto, rest a player or two. That could be a you know a crazy goal. Maybe some you know bunker encounter, and you know we got you know, one one MLS team left in, you know, Montreal, then we're talking, you know, potentially a final where anything can happen, right? So with, you know, the, the fact that, you know, the league's getting better, the Canadian Premier League, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a CPL winner in the next couple of years. And I think that makes it worth it to allocate a spot to Canada to at least get, you know, representation from a, you know, now a major player in the region, you know, Canada's making the World Cup. Yeah, I think fair enough. we should represent them at the club level too. Yeah. Two more, two questions, I guess. So last podcast, we asked, what would winning this tournament show symbolically, as in what it would represent, descriptively, as in what it would tell us about the leagues, and practically, as in what would be the consequences of an MLS team winning and then going to the Club World Cup? Now that we Seattle has won and hopefully we'll go to the club world cup and hopefully compete there. Why don't we tackle that? However you want to 
go. I just ask a question. Yeah. I, mean, I follow a lot of soccer. I don't know the answer to this, but with the, with the winter world cup, when is the, is there a club world cup? It, it yeah. would be totally MLS's thing that would, they canceled it this year. That'd that be, happened yeah, last so, time. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I saw, um, I was worried about this for a half second too. I think the day after Seattle won, it did come out that FIFA is playing to host the club world cup. It will be in the previous format. It will be in the United Arab Emirates. So the winner of the uh, why is it League? always hosted in? I don't know, man. I do not know. Money kickbacks. Kick yeah. Okay. Well, true. Um. But yeah, the winner of the UAE League, the seven continental winners. Um. Right. That works. Something like that. Um. That's good. Yeah, we're talking Oceania. We're talking Asia, Europe, Africa, uh, North America, South America, and the. I think I'm missing. But any, anyways, you get the you get the strip. But um, eight teams uh in the UAE sometime in you know early 2023. And yes, they did uh caveat that Seattle will be included in uh the tournament. So at least we can you know breathe a, a sigh of relief that you know MLS will be represented at some point. Just don't know exactly when that is. Cool. Um, right. right in the middle of their off season. So I guess that starts us with the practical conversation. Then what what potentially happens because Seattle won? Like, does this influence change? Does going to the Club World Cup offer a massive opportunity for viewership, uh, reputation? I don't know, scouts come, maybe sign Obedi Wagas. That is not how you pronounce his name. They sign the 16-year-old academy kid, and suddenly he's in Liverpool or some shit. I don't know. But like that, I, I get. I guess I'll start. I don't think it changes anything, and I, that's probably not a super popular thing to say, and that's fine. Like I don't, I don't really care. I, I think the one thing to say is simply, does it does should something change for MLS? The answer is absolutely not. When this, we've come leaps and bounds uh, in the last you know ten years or so since this competition really became a thing in its present form. Why should we change what we're doing? We're only getting better. We're only producing more young players. Um, nothing should change. I, I don't understand why. Uh, maybe besides a few um, roster rules, but I'm I'm still fine with the general format for the time being. I do so think I'm, teams. I'm fine with that. Go on. Sorry, I do think teams might copy Seattle. I guess. I mean, if they weren't already copying Seattle. I mean. I agree with that. I think there's only so much that you can copy Seattle because I it's it's a reproducible way to do it, but so many teams are already doing it. Just like they haven't hit on their DPs and Seattle has. So in that, you know, way it's kind of a crapshoot and like if you just hit on your DPs, right? If Rui Diaz and Ladero weren't on the field, Seattle's not winning this thing. And you know, that's that can be directly correlated to them getting two signings right. And that's hard to do. It's hard to get signings right even if they should work they just don't always work so that's one thing for that i think for what does it change for the league as a whole in terms of how it's perceived probably not much yet but if seattle balls out like here, here's a few things if seattle balls out yes people will see the league as more legitimate if we're able to you know reproduce the success in the next five years maybe get three MLS clubs in the club world cup, obviously it's going to expand in 2024. So we're, we'll see how that takes place, but 
let's say we're able to get more MLS clubs highlighted, at least in the club world cup in whatever form it'll be. Yeah. Also also helps the league. Right. So it's the little wins. And for that standpoint, I don't know how much can change. All that we need is just to continue to go and go and go. And if we don't stop this progress, it's not worth changing anything because it just won us our first club world cup. And it seems likely that that won't be the last one in at least in the near future. So yeah, I like this. I think Toronto being beating Tigres a couple of years ago, kind of put this, this whole tournament on the map in Mexico. Like it used to just be like, yeah, the Mexican Kings just won it. And then maybe whoever was the final, they take this, this strange trophy back. They didn't know. I don't know how big it was. But then it became like kind of a tournament, and now MLS has won the thing. Like I said, it, it was set up for them. Like Seattle is the better team between them and Pumas. Probably New England was the better team between them and Pumas. So it was Cruz Azul. I mean, that's what happens in tournaments. You, you beat who you beat, but like you know, you know, transfer market is not a, it's not at all accurate. But you know, when when you have levels of magnitude, like Pumas is a thirty million dollar rated team on transfer market seattle's 50 million and uh club america's you know 75 million you know that gives you an idea yeah now is i I mean i think seattle's not gonna do very well at the club world cup if if it's in january like mls teams barely beat you know central american teams in february you know yeah because they're just not playing you know i it's it, it could be actually kind of embarrassing. I mean, just the fact they're going to be there. They're also going to be playing game. super clubs. Like we think about Liga Max as having these big teams, but the teams we're playing, they, they've they just nearly monopolized that league. Right, right. I mean, the, the UEFA team is, is always going to win and the uh, Comniball team might give them a game, but I'm not even sure who they get drawn into. They might, they might lose to the African team, but. Do we know, you know. who's going to be at the Club World Cup? I, I don't think we know yet, right? I think it's going to be, oh, I guess. Uh, I think Seattle is the first prince, right? Like they're the first one to like right. wrap it's up the be, continental competition. I mean, Liverpool, Real Madrid will be there, but I don't know if Seattle would ever get to play them. The, the way last was, Club World Cup had, um, sorry. Go ahead. The last yeah, who one, did Mexico lose to? The last one had Monterey, Al Jazeera. Who, apart from being a news agency, the winners <laughs> of the UAE League. Yeah, they were actually a first-time champion, so congrats to them. I believe they were the hosts. Yes. Al-Ali, which I believe is in Egypt, they have Literally. a record 10 Champions League titles. The most CONCAP Champion Leagues that have been won over the whole history of thing has been seven by America. You're going to have... Al Hilal, which I believe is that's probably not how it's Saudi saying. Arabia. Yeah, um, I'm butchering a lot of things. I'm sorry. Um, they are the most decorated club in all of Asia. They have won 64 official trophies. They hold the record for trophies and for continental trophies in Asia, which is 17. So just you know that seven, and that's been longer. That's been that longer. They've won seven. This team has won 17. So you are going to be playing the super of super clubs. And those yeah. are the supposedly weak sides in this tournament. So that yeah. that was that was twenty that was the twenty twenty-two-ish that like that happened in February. That was twenty twenty-one. Uh, yeah, or it's a twenty twenty-one tournament, it says, but like 
the actual games were in 2022. Oh. Kind of weird distinction, whatever. Doesn't really cool. matter. I think that was because of COVID more than anything else. Yeah. But anyway. I, I well, I mean, now it's weird because the Winter World Cup. Essentially, the way it works is like the home team played the Oceania team in like a first leg kind of play in. And then that's the CONCACAF team entered in like the first round where everybody's kind of in, along with the Asian, African, and uh, winner of the last round. And then uh, Palmeiras, which was the uh, South American uh, winner, and Chelsea from Europe uh, were entered in the semifinal stage. So that those teams have like two games to, and then they win the tournament. So right. it's like, yeah. see, I would see, I would have to win two games to get to either the South American team or the UEFA team. Yeah, Montreal did like, not win uh, two two games this this last this last. Actually, one. it's surprising how badly Mexican teams have done. Well, what's that in their season? Like, is Jan- February, January? They, they're. I mean, it's just it's a matter of palette. They just started it's, again, right? It's because yeah. Mexico has a bunch of different teams that you know. While in these, first off, South America and like and Europe, they just have more quality, um, the best leagues, and then Africa, Asia. I'm not sure how what it is with Oceania. Actually, that feels disrespectful not to include Oceania. So I'm just going to go and look at them a bit right now. It was, AS, it was a Perey? Yeah. They won the Tahiti League. Um, oh, Tahiti. Yes, right. Tahiti. Tahiti beat New Zealand, and then that was a big Represent. thing. That they, yeah. It's, Let's it's, go. Okay, they, they are, you know, they tend to lose in the first round, those teams. Yeah, they got smacked. Yeah, but, you know, Liga Max has parity, or MLS has parity. If you were to go to Global Football League ranking and you looked at the standard deviation, you know, those two leagues have fairly low standard deviations. These leagues don't. And so what's happened is when Liga Max made the final, it was the first time a Liga, a CONCAF team had ever done that. Uh, before that, the only team to even finish third in this 18 tournament was Saprissa after they beat Pumas. Fun fact, Pumas were the last team to let a non-Mexican team win. They've done it again. Good job, Pumas. And just to let you know, this tournament is a, or you guys probably know this, but uh, they had the final, they have a third place game. They have a fifth place game. So basically you can fight for every single position in the hierarchy, which is just a Monterey, um, in kind of a shock game, but this was kind of during their downturn um, before they ended up rebounding and making the playoffs. Uh, they did lose one nil to Alali in the um, the first game that they were in. So they just uh, one game lost fifth place game and then uh, beat Al Jazeera. So they were your uh, fifth place winner. Okay. Some wild speculation. I mean, if we're talking money, we know FIFA is all about money. The fact that an MLS team is going to be in this tournament might open the door for this tournament to come to the United States. It's kind of like the fact like uh oh yeah. I mean it's why also, I don't know why they don't have this tournament in the well, United States. They probably want to make it bigger before they bring it here, but you know, I, they're gonna it's gonna be 24 teams in either 23 or 24. Um, yeah that might go to us. Yeah we'll see. It also in the build up to the 2026 World Cup it makes financial sense. Also, I do wonder if MLS is going to like do some extra stuff to make sure that Seattle is prepared for teams that are probably better than your than most 
CONCACAF Champions League winners. When's that game going to be on? Like 3 a.m.? Yeah. Oh, crap. I forgot about that. Well, maybe, that not. maybe it's World like Cup exactly was... 24 hours. Yeah, the World Cup nah. games are, are, aren't bad. The World Cup games are at 2 o'clock, right? PM? No, in the South Korea and Japan. 5, 8, 11, and 2. Yeah, so it's probably not going to be bad. Yeah. Hopefully um, we don't get the five end of that. Okay, let's move on to descriptively. As in, what does this tell us about the leagues? Well, it, just descriptively, it means that in terms of, like kind of what I mentioned earlier, Seattle, who would be considered one of the best teams, played multiple Mexican teams in this tournament, kind of similar to LAFC last year. And they played like they belonged on the same field. Um, so you're basically, you're kind of seeing where from top to bottom, Liga Emekis is still better, but you're starting to see where it's not MLS is going into on the road to Mexico and just holding on for dear life, even though we did see that with the Revs, but that was just stupid tactics. But like, but, but with Seattle, they, they went in to Mexico City, as hostile as a territory as you could possibly do, and they weren't outplayed. If anything, they were the better team. Now, we talked, we've done a little bit of talking with Liga Emekis and how there's anywhere between another three to four teams that they could, if they'd made this tournament, they could have maybe told a different story, like uh, America. What's going to be really important is if MLS creates something kind of similar, because right now, you know, you have Seattle. Uh, they can hold their own with anybody in North America. I, I think I, Toronto usually in NYCFC. Well, maybe. like for like, let's just say this year, I would say like you would have NYC, um, I, uh, LAFC. Uh, I don't know. Well, they've had some injuries. Uh, obviously, them. If they like, had, for a example, full if they had Tur- if they had Turner during the Champions League, they beat Pumas. In my opinion, I, I don't think they lose three to nothing on the road there. Um, also, like LAFC is looking really good. Um, you, I'll throw LA Galaxy actually in there. They seem I, to maybe make a little bit of a comeback. I, they would be at the bottom rung. I'm just, Let I'm just throwing the them. playoffs first. Oh, I would be very surprised if this year they blow it. I'll just leave it at that. But as you said, may they have to make it first. But kind of what I'm getting at is, yeah. You, um, you're like NYC looked they were the team that gave Seattle the most problems they that game uh, that second leg versus uh, Seattle and in, uh, in New York that could have been like seven to four that was the Stefan Fay game yeah it was ridiculous it was just a ridiculous game but the the thing is you we need to make sure that MLS keeps bumping up a couple more of their teams because let's just say Seattle doesn't make it next yeah. year for whatever reason you need to make sure you bring somebody not they don't have to win every year that, that i don't want that i don't we don't shouldn't make that the expectation because that's going to be completely unreasonable but we need to make it to where no matter what year it is or what kind of parity there is it's competitive yes there's going to be at least one mls team that is going to be favored or one of the quick favorites to win that doesn't mean that they're going to. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be a potential better Mexican team in the squad. But you need to have make sure that somebody else joins Seattle with that mantle. 
Otherwise, this might not mean anything. Yeah. I admit that's the problem with this year being like definitive is that there were no good Mexican teams. Yeah, you could have argued the <laughs> four best. My bad. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, the, the, the four best teams in, in the competition were probably MLS teams. And we all, I mean, when this tournament started, everyone said, said it. You know, this is the year. This is the year. And uh, I did look it up. So I, I, you a, duck, right, a, a duck in uh, cricket is a scoreless inning. So yeah, if you have a you... string of scoreless innings and you score a run, you break your duck. So ah, that's it's like, what, that's what it, so, so we... it's like, uh, it's a, a success after a string of failures, you know? So, oh, okay. Okay. so well, you did get it right. Well, good job to you. Thank you. Thank you. I don't even know cricket, but yeah. So they broke their duck, which is pretty much all you can say about this tournament. They, they've never yeah. really competed with the, the big Mexican teams historically toronto did it the one year but like i said i'm not sure the mexicans were even taking this tournament seriously then and they started taking it seriously after that now we now mls has won but you know they they can fall back on you know it wasn't their best their best stuff but you know there's just all kinds of structural problems it's for the first in this problem yeah well let me just like, just really quick do, do you think that this seattle team is as i mean they just won the whole thing do you think this seattle team it would be competitive versus a monterey or america I think competitive I mean, is, right i mean the problem like, is, I, right yeah the problem is that this almost exactly i mean seattle's been good every year this is not that different than the team that lost in the first round to a honduran team two years ago because th- this tournament starts in the preseason for mls seattle usually starts poorly every mls season and doing it again and then they kind of come through in the summer with a signing or two and they get hot at the end they and they're a very good playoff team but they've never really done well in this tournament before uh but like you know the, the next step is is to get into the tournament with with the big mexican teams and and beat them i mean it's just the next step you have to you have to take what you can get you know it's, I think... it's been incremental and I, i'd love for this term tournament to get bigger and you know, like we said, I think the best thing about this tournament this year, I hate, uh, sorry if I'm monopolizing, is that they got 68,000. Yeah. You know, they got Marshawn Lynch tweeting about it. I mean, it, it was and kind of a spectacle. Too. It was a spectacle. It was. Which is I better. Think yeah. It's about depth in like the, it's like, so if they be Seattle's here, okay. Mexico has Leon, Pumas, all these teams which can beat the big dogs in MLS. And then they have the Granda, the the big four. They have Chivas, they have all these teams. With MLS, you maybe have Seattle, you have NYCFC, and then who then who else is can you consistently the like count on to do it? Like Toronto? Sure. Right. I mean, you can't you can't really consistently because MLS is designed to destroy teams like you're good and then you're going to be bad and you're going to be good and you're going to be bad. It's like uh, it. The fact that Seattle's been consistently good uh, in the playoffs, not not so much always in the regular season, but, you know, it's it's something like you look at Kansas City was also consistently good for a long time and now they're terrible and. Well, it's just it's it's kind of like the way it's designed, like other American sports, where teams are supposed to go up and down, and no fan base is supposed to lose hope. I I think it's more like defining metric, right? Like for C- for an MLS, and apparently, and not apparently, but like in Liga Mekis, 
kind of the defining metric is playoff success. And there's a reason why Club America or slash Tigre slash Monterey um, weren't in this tournament because they didn't have success in the playoffs. And they look to not have had that same success moving uh, into this playoffs, right? Monterey, obviously already, already out. And we'll see how that goes. But um, if Club America slash Tigre slash Chivas slash whoever you want to put in there um, don't make the final, at least, of the Klausura, it will be another year without those three teams in this tournament. Uh, Pumas won't be in next year. Um, you can go down the line. So if – and the same can be applied for MLS, right, with Sporting KC having years and years and years of success in the regular season not having success in the postseason, not making CCL. The that, New York Red Bulls, I think. Like right, Perfect example. Perfect example. Yeah. Red Bulls, good there for a couple of years, you know, made a little noise in CCL, didn't really do much, kind of made, made the playoffs last year, fizzled out, right? And they haven't made CCL since. So it's because you don't have success in the playoffs. Even if those teams might be better over the course of the season, if they don't have success in those four games they're not making this tournament which is fine and i think to be fair that's only one team like only one team two teams only two teams get off the right but i mean like we're talking the shield which is the best we're talking mls cup we're talking open cup that that leaves like one spot for a team that could be really really good didn't win the shield last year last year we had sporting kc we're also up there um, not not really anyone up there in the East, but Seattle um, and Sporting KC. If Didn't Sporting Seattle KC only don't have that phantom handball, right? If, if KC don't have that phantom handball call, sla- or not, uh, the, the handball that should have been, and then the crazy uh, Justin Miram bicycle assist to Crylock in the uh, 95th minute mm-hmm. on decision day, Seattle don't win CCL. That's powerful, and that shows that it's the small margins in both of these leagues that kind of set teams um, to continental glory. Fair. Um, I think we talked a bunch already about what it symbolizes. Anyone? I mean, like we, we I think it's kind of just to throw it all together. It, the symbol is for hope, but it it's this won't mean anything as a symbol if MLS teams don't continue to build upon the stepping stone that Seattle has laid out to the rest of yeah. the American region. Fair enough. Um, okay. I guess the last thing we should preview, and we already previewed the Club World Cup. So the next edition? I don't know. We talked about doing Greg Burhalter's tenure up to this point. Oh, <laughs> <another> five hours. <laughs> yes, let's. I mean, this one's now. been two, so it's not like we're doing anything unreasonable here. Uh, it's been an hour and fifty minutes. <laughs> they went quick. Yeah, really good. Part. I mean, yeah, we so had good. we had to talk about two games and repercussions of both of them. So yeah, on a global scale. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and now I just have to edit it for like twenty hours. Mm-hmm.